0: and mp3 downloads and now with this week's teaching Bishop Malcolm Smith The Lord be with you all and I want to share with you a story from the Old Testament Um, either you know this story or you have absolutely no knowledge of it, there's no halfway here, it's one of those stories that just take up seven verses in the Bible, and the Bible goes on its way. It's in Second Kings and chapter 6. Now the sons of the prophets, they would be what today we would call uh, Bible school students. Um, they, they gathered together and lived in community as they studied the Old Testament scriptures and Elisha would come from time to time and teach them, and teach them what it meant to be a prophet. More of that in a minute. But now these sons of the prophets, they said to Elisha, the the prophet of God at that time, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please, let us go to the Jordan River And each of us take from there a beam and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So Elisha said, Go. Then one of these young fellows said, Please be willing to go with your servants to the Jordan River where we're going to cut wood. And Elisha answered, I shall go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan River, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then Elisha, the man of God, said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. When I was uh, in my teenage, I memorized the New Testament and much of the Old, and I memorized this verse in the King James Version, because in those days that's all we had. And it says there, And the iron did swim, good old King James. And that's always been in my mind when I read this scripture. The iron did swim. Our modern version said the iron float. Made the iron float. And he said, take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. And that's the end of the story. Um, well, what is this about? It's, I want you to get inside this story. Um, really inside. I, I mean to the point where maybe the the fellow here, sons of the prophets, they would be possibly in their early to mid-twenties, young chaps, and, and, and excited, enthusiastic. Can you imagine being there at a family gathering 40 years later, and the grandchildren are saying, Granddad, tell us that story again. And he would tell the story of when as a young fellow, he had been chopping wood down by the Jordan and so on. This would be something that would be passed on from generation to generation. Um, Just ordinary people, peasant folk, so ordinary. You realize the, the sons of the prophets, I don't know how many there were, we don't know the name of one of them. And this fellow who becomes the person of interest in the story, we don't know his name either. How ordinary can you get? You become part of an historic story and no one knows your name. I suppose in some people's book, you would say he's insignificant. An unnamed man who had a problem and God intervened. Sons of the prophets. Um... As I said, they were a community of believers. That was very significant in these days because Israel, where this happened, the northern parts of Israel, um, at least it went pretty far down, but the Israel, um, it was under the influence of Baal, the the pagan, demonic god. And believers were not popular. In fact, you could say they were persecuted. And and so these fellows gathered together to study the scripture such as they had and, and to learn to fellowship with God and to listen to him speaking within them. And Elisha, the great successor to Elijah, He is their teacher, their overseer. It it, it appears there were more than one of these communities, and he would visit them and teach them and model before them what a prophet was. And he would teach them from his own experience how to listen to the voice of God. And and these fellows would go out into the neighborhood and they would model... uh, living and believing in the covenant God before the neighborhood. that They were, as I say, so insignificant in terms of history. We don't know their names. But understand this. Right at the beginning, each one of those persons was personally known by name to the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. I, I throw that out because you may feel yourself to be so insignificant and there are some names of certain believers that are on television every other night um, on the Christian channels and you feel if only you were like that well forget that Uh, the majority of persons in the Bible fall into this category of unknown peasants and they have this experience of the dare I say, the invasion of love and kindness of God into their lives. It fits you. Well, the the sons of the prophets, whatever they were doing, became popular among believers. And so more and more would trek across the country to join them and to live with them in these community houses. And it came to the point, again in our modern version of the Bible, it says uh, that they came to Elisha and said, the place where we're living is too limited for us. Uh, too limited. I I suppose that's as good as any. The word in the Hebrew language, though, means we're squashed in here like sardines. It it means we're tripping over each other. It means we're bursting at the seams. And interestingly, the same word that's translated here as too limited is also translated elsewhere as anxiety, anxiety. Uh, And and it's that you're getting on my nerves, We're, we're, we're living in each other's space, and it's come to a point where we've got to do something about it. And so they come to Elisha, and they're basically sharing their ideas with him, they've got to expand their living quarters, well in those days you didn't go to a realtor, you took an axe and went and felled trees and built yourself a house. And so it was their idea that we could build, we could have a bigger community. Um, And Elisha thinks it's a jolly good idea. And so they said they would take their tools and they would go down to the River Jordan. They were in the region of Jericho and, and and they would go down to the River Jordan. There they would cut down the trees, and they would build themselves larger quarters. And as they're all ready to go, one of them turns to Elisha and says, Would you come with us? It, it, it was said because Elisha had come to teach them, you see. And, and going off to a construction site of building houses is not really what had been on the agenda. They request him to come to the Jordan as they are cutting trees and preparing to build house houses. Okay, what what was an Old Testament prophet? I emphasize that, and I'm not talking about this so... Um, I, this is just a, a thing sort of in the margins. Um, the Old Testament prophet ha- can never be confused with the New Testament prophet. They are totally different. And, and we've got people wandering around the country these days uh, trying to think they're Old Testament prophets. And, uh, you know, well, I'll leave that. But no, the Old Testament prophet was the the living, what, I say symbol of the presence of God. But more than symbol, they they were the means, the method by which God communicated his word to the people. And not only his word, but especially with Elijah and Elisha, it was also done in actions, and those actions contain the miraculous. And so these uh, a prophet in the Old Testament, another thing you must never think of a prophet is someone who foretells the future. Oh, no, no. That's a very modern meaning of the word. A prophet, the word prophet means one who speaks forth into now the Word of God. And so they they were the speakers of God's love. They were the demonstrators of his love, his goodness, his power, his kindness. That was a prophet. And, and so if, if you had a need or a problem, you would go to the prophet and that, that man would be the place and person where you heard the word of God and things happened too um and so these students of being prophets they they recognize they need the presence of this person who is the symbol of god's presence and god's word they they need the blessing of god not only in teaching the scripture but when they're on a building site i like that i'd like to stay there but i can't there's too much uh, and so just think about that that here in the old testament in, in it it's different way of of things happening but they recognize we need the presence of this man of god even while we're chopping down trees we need the presence of god in our sort of mundane, ordinary work. And so they come to the river's edge where the trees are growing and they begin to chop down the trees and they're doing it with enthusiasm, knowing how these people would have probably acted. They would do it with singing, maybe singing um, spiritual songs or just songs that they called out their enthusiasm and they're hacking away at the trees. Remember, these are what we call Bible students. They are not really used to this kind of work, but, but they're, they're caught up in it with excitement that they're about to build something big enough so they won't get on each other's nerves. And suddenly, as one of them is hacking at the tree, the axe head flies off. Now, that's dangerous. Those axe heads made of iron and they have been sharpened and sharpened until they could fell trees. That kind of weapon could hack off somebody's head and it's flying off into the air. This is terrible. And then it flops down into the River Jordan and disappears. At that point in the river Jordan, the, the river Jordan is very deep. Um, and also the river is running very fast. It's come all the way from the north on the mountains of Lebanon and down through the Galilee. And by the time it gets to this point, down by Jericho, it's, it can be a raging torrent. And as I say, very deep before it plunges downriver into the Dead Sea. Huh my axe head is is in the bottom of a deep part of the river jordan fast flowing this if you know your bible back in the book of joshua this is where joshua stopped the river jordan and all israel came across but that's another story this fellow is not interested in that right now all he's interested in is I've lost my axe head now to lose your axe to have it fly off that's very irresponsible I mean he had in all probability tied that axe head somehow to the stick you know we're talking pretty primitive here and, and, and so it's on the end of, of, of a stick uh, something to hit with Uh, But you've tied it on. Well, he didn't do a very good job. I'd say this is very irresponsible. He could have killed somebody very easily with that. Thank God he went in the river. Really, it's the same thing as today, carrying a loaded gun. You You'd better be responsible. And this fellow was just caught up in enthusiasm, careless, sloppy about tying the axe head on. they have been stupid. I mean, really, seriously. This is a mistake of the first order. This is carelessness. The axe head splashed into the River Jordan. Huh stopped all the work, of course. Everybody stops and looks and says, "'Thank God that didn't hit me.'" But he says, as he stares out into the rushing river, he said, "'Alas!' Huh. That's a word we don't use too often today. "'Alas!' What is it? It's, it's a word of great emotion. It's used here and there in the Scripture. I suppose today, a, a good translation of that will be "Oh no!" Um, but in the in the scripture, when when you say "Alas!" or "Oh no!", it's got in it the idea of despair. It's sort of burying my head in my hands. Oh no, alas! It's a word used in the scripture. To describe a person who recognizes their own inability, the impossibility of what they're facing, and they say, Alas, I you know, forget it. It can also be used to describe confusion. Alas, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Alas, and he stands there. can, can you get do, do you hear the river Jordan going by splashing over the stones? And you said, hey, it's gone, gone to the bottom of the deepest part of the Jordan. Oh, no. But it, it gets worse. You see, he said, I don't own it. I, 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 I borrowed it just for this occasion. <laughs> All the more reason why you should have been responsible. Actually, the word that we've translated here, it was borrowed. Actually, the word is much stronger. It means begged. It means getting something out of somebody just by persistence. I beg you. This man had gone to somebody who did not want to loan him their axe head. But he begged them, please, I'll, I'll, I'll have it back to you the day after tomorrow. I, I promise you, please, I've got to cut trees and I can't afford an accident. Please, you see. Huh. Oh. What's he going to say now? You see, his mistake involved an absent but Obviously, unsympathetic person who didn't want to give him the exit in the first place. So now he's got to buy a new one. Well, if he had the money for that, he wouldn't have begged. He would have gone and bought one. So he's facing the fact I don't have the money. I've got to replace it. Oh, my Lord. You know when a mistake begins to spiral into chaos? Huh. There's anxiety here. In in that word, alas, despair, anxiety, confusion. Where's the money coming from to replace it? Well, when he comes to Elisha, that's the first thing he says, and always the first thing out of your mouth betrays where your heart is. He, he said, it was begged, it was borrowed, I... I, I This this is what it's all about, you see. The very first thought he had was, oh no, it wasn't mine. He's gone to Elisha to tell him what happened, probably to explain why he's dropped out of the workforce uh, and why there's been a, a stoppage of all the work on building the houses. He certainly is out of the picture. He can't go forward without axe head. But he goes just to tell Elisha. There's no suggestion of anything else. He just goes to tell him. There's certainly no expectation of a miracle. He's gone to share his misery, to share his alas, share his anxiety. The axe is gone. That's a done deal. Won't get that back again. But what do I do now? You might say he goes to Elisha for a shoulder to cry on. You see, no one could ever have dreamed or written the end of this story. Do, do you understand? This is a construction site. And, and, and it's full of the sound of chop. Chop, chop on the trees and the rushing of the River Jordan and, and, and the sweat and the flies and, you know, this is not a time when they're thinking of miracles. They've lost the axe heads. And that's it. That's it. But, see, pretend you don't know the end of the story. Um, well... All as I say, all you can think of is how everything has gone wrong and it couldn't go wrong, you know. But this this event on a construction site, the sweat rolling down their face, their muscles bulging as they hack at the trees, and then the axe head has gone. Of course, remember, you're in days very unlike today. An axe head was a great possession. great It would cost a lot of money. You're somebody if you own an axe head. And it's gone. I mean, we've come to a dead end here. This is despair. What do we do? But... This is actually a miracle in the making. Just a few minutes from now, you're going to call this situation something else altogether. Right now, it's the pit of despair and anxiety, but in just a little bit, you're going to call it a wonder. You're you're going to be amazed and astonished. And your amazement and astonishment is presently all wrapped up in despair. Do you get it? In fact, what's going to happen in a few minutes is going to be affecting the world for thousands of years. Do you realize this little bunch of guys under the trees of the River Jordan would never dream that I am sitting here talking to you about what happened that day? Try try and get a hold of this. I didn't expect it. They didn't go to Elisha for a miracle. They just went to say, what do we do? (laughs) Can can you understand the potential, the possible that was in that moment of something so ordinary, we don't even know the names of the chaps with the axes in their hand. except for one man, Elisha. He who was so in fellowship, he had gotten used to seeing the possible of God in every moment. In fact, he was there. I don't think he had an axe in his hands. He, he was there listening, listening for more than the sound of chopping trees. God is going to reveal his love and his kindness in this so ordinary event. Understand that. I have emphasized, because I believe it should be, that this man was careless He'd made mistakes in wrapping that axe head to the staff, and and there's many, and maybe you've been told it that well you made a mistake you know, you you did something very stupid, and, and therefore I, I'm I'm sorry you've just got to live with the consequences, um, you know. God God only does work and is pleased with people who never make mistakes. Please hear that. Please hear it. I know people who are crippled in life because they've been told by religion that you made a mistake and therefore God doesn't work with all the consequences. This is your life. Get used to it. No, I'm sorry. Pastor Religion, you're a liar. This God takes our mistakes and sometimes our downright stupidity and our carelessness and makes it the opportunity for a demonstration of his incredible kindness and goodness toward us. Put that on your refrigerator. Elisha, who, remember, is the voice of God in the midst of the people, he said, show me where it fell. Take me to the place. Show me where it fell into the Jordan River. Take me to the place of your extreme despair and trouble. He doesn't just listen to what the poor chap is saying. He takes the initiative, the initiative of compassion in order to bring the love and the care and the kindness of God into the midst of this distressing and anxious situation. He he is revealing the limitless, personal, energy of god love that is ready eager to manifest himself in every situation do you understand the father the son and the holy spirit our god has limitless interest in the minutest details of your life who would ever think of a God whose interest is wrapped up in an over-enthusiastic chap who doesn't know how to tie axe heads and now it's sunk in the River Jordan and the, the interest, the, the desire to be full of care and kindness toward this fellow pours out of god through elisha it's amazing it's amazing huh you see what to all of the fellows there was a mountain of a problem i mean a mountain it would cost far too much for, for to replace this it's a mountain But Elisha sees that mountain as holding the opportunity. Do you you understand? that This problem holds within it the opportunity of the God of covenant to reveal his love as no other situation could. Can you get a hold of that? Things happen in your life. And it doesn't make sense. We didn't need this today, right? I mean, we're building a house. Doesn't God want us to build a house and this silly axe head flies up. He could have had an angel hold it on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. The fact is, what has just happened holds the Opportunity for God to reveal his kindness and goodness as no other opportunity or situation could. This unique situation will produce a unique revelation of God. And Elisha, he's not only the voice of God, he follows God's method. What's God's method? God questions. He and he always questions as almost the same thing. Take me back to the point of your trouble. The question is, is like that. Take me back. Uh, Elisha says, show me where it fell. Or where did it fall? He's it, it, questioning. Take, take me to the source of your problem. Do you remember Jesus did that? On the Emmaus road, what's the matter with you fellows? Do you remember that Luke twenty-four. In order to get into their heart, he's, he's seeking them to involve with him that he might involve with them. That's what God does. As far as the first thing is, is Adam in the garden? Where are you, Adam? What have you done? You see, it, it, it's God. He he questions. He he puts his finger. It's a question. He he would be involved with us limitlessly involved and so he calls us he draws us into involving ourselves in our problem with him you see many there are many who don't don't think like this they don't think that god cares for me in these trivialities in life. And so I, I lost the jolly axe head. Well, have you ever thought that that is of interest, limitless God interest of the Holy Trinity? Have you ever thought about that? Every detail. every This isn't a spiritual situation. You know that horrible word spiritual, which means half the things you do are not. No, no. of course... There's no such thing as spiritual with God. The whole of your life is his interest. And so here on a construction site with sweating workers and something goes wrong with one of your machines, there's no interest to God. Oh, yes. Do you know the interest of God in your life comes to its finale in the Incarnation? where God himself got inside your very existence. And for most of his life, really seriously most of his life, he was a carpenter, entering into every detail. So he got inside our minds and our emotions, and he saw life through our eyes, because it, shall I say, it fascinates God, but not merely as a curiosity in order that he might fill it and, and, and elevate that trivial thing of life into walking with him. Hey, come on. Every one of you, you know what happened at the river. You know what happened here. See, anxiety comes in a million faces. The fact is, beginning with me, every one of you know what it means to have an axe head at the bottom of the River Jordan. You know what that is, you know. (laughs) You, You could never think it until after the fact, but what you need is for iron to swim. Impossible! Stupid waste of thought energy. Utterly impossible, and your River Jordan and your axe head. It could be in your daily life, just the daily trivial stuff of the kitchen and the living room and workplace, factory, office, schoolroom. It could be playing in the park. It, whatever. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be emotional it could be in the area of life as you walk with god but you you get me that we come to something where we say, well, that's absolutely impossible it's stupid to even think talk about reversing no the the fellow never talked about reversing bringing the ax head back of course not that's ridiculous It's too late. It's done. We've now got to think, where do we go from here? How do we handle this in life? See, We we bring our best thinking to these problems. And all we come up with is, alas, (laughs) despair, confusion, anxiety. Our brain goes around and around in circles comes back to the same spot within a few minutes. a sort of paralyzed thinking. I, I don't know what to do. It's impossible. The axe is at the bottom of the River Jordan. I have no money. And I've got to face the owner within a few hours. Dark despair said, Elisha, take me to where it fell. Take me to the spot where all your troubles began. Show me, show me the arena of the disaster. See, at this point, the brain, this poor chap, the brain cannot think in terms of a prayer request doesn't even come with a hopeful suggestion doesn't know how to pray except no except what I don't know I ne- I need the money to buy an axe head I don't have it I I, I, I need I, I suppose I need favor with this fellow that he won't be as mad as I think he will be he wasn't asking for a miracle he wasn't asking for a reversal he wasn't Asking to get the axe back. I say it. All all I can do is share the situation with Elisha. And when he did, Elisha, God in Elisha, grabs the opportunity. The kindness of God, the compassion of God has found a way in. Do you remember in the Gospels how many times this happened? I mean, it happened with the sick. They just present him and they say, this is the way it is. There are some things that seem so impossible you can't put your tongue around a request. Or do you remember they came and simply said, they have no wine. (laughs) I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do, but at least I share with you or they can, there, there is no bread and there's 15,000 people waiting to be fed. Uh, it, it's in the, I leave it there. I, 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 I don't know how to ask you for anything because it's all impossible. But Elisha lived, I say again, from fellowship with God. Listening, ready to obey, eager to hear what God was saying, eager to tap into God's thoughts about this matter, God's ideas of what to do. He's brilliant at that. Ready to obey and get rid of the religious smell that goes around that word. Obey is not a harsh thing, obey. Obey is really the invitation. It's, it's listening for the Holy Spirit to bring us to the next level of His revealing love to us. Elisha was waiting, expecting. God love in action. He, he's not asking God why. Never ask God why. It's rather, what are you doing in this? What are you doing? I know what everybody else is doing. But what are you doing in this situation, Lord? What do you want of me, if anything? And, and just to let you know, Lord, that I am completely ready for whatever you want to involve me in. And God dropped this crazy idea into Elisha's mind. And Elisha does not debate it. He doesn't say, I'll think about that. I'll get back tomorrow. He doesn't consult with his feelings as to how do you feel because they're already on red zone. This is the craziest thing. You're going to make a fool of yourself. But rather, he proceeds at once to do it. And it was that he took a stick. There it is. He cut off a stick cut off a branch of a tree what on earth is going on he takes that and he throws it into the river jordan right where the axe head was last seen falling what's going on i i how can i say it's a it's a point of contact that is it's not Something that and especially when there's so much anxiety and fear going around um it, it it's that it's the same thing as when we lay hands on a person. The laying on of hands is the point of contact between the love that flows through the one into the other. There's a sense you could say it's not ultimately needed. God can do it without that. But we humans need that point of contact. It's it's where we feel or we see God is in action. It's as if it's an extension through the arm of Elisha of love, resurrection, power. It's a tangible, symbolic miming of God's favor and blessing going into the middle of our problems. Also in the scripture, a stick is often described as the rod of authority. That that here through mortal man comes the authority of God summoning that axe head. Or you could say it was faith fishing (laughs) God was fishing in the river Jordan and his love was the hook but come on You're, you're still listening to me really this is this is daft I mean really the idea of bringing an axe from the bottom of the river Jordan just like that that's impossible And the method you're suggesting? Throwing a stick into the water? That's ridiculous. That's stupid. You know, just roll your eyes and walk away. Yeah? No wonder the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Or what's it say again? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Or again in Romans 1 where foolish and fools is anchored right there in when man believed the lies of Satan. And it says that it was that man believed what Satan said and left God out of the picture of life. God's out of the equation. I'm on my own with my superior brain and logic. And the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You see, our foolish, I emphasize that, wisdom places God into a little tiny box of human reason and human logic. It makes God's brain no bigger than the peanut inside our head. And then, in our religious superiority, we give him permission to act in a sensible way. And if anything happens that's outside of our minuscule boundaries, we forbid it, you say. We're in charge here. Yeah, go on, laugh, do your sensible thing. But while you're doing that, the axe is rising to the top, and it's floating, or as the dear old King James Bible says, the iron did swim. God's love reached down into the mud and the weeds and drew that iron axe head to the surface of the water. Wonder. There's no, I can't think that. I can't explain it with scientific reason. So just join me in being amazed and astonished and recognize that God cannot be put in a box. He's beyond thought. And the moment you put him in a box, he's not there. And you're left with a religious box of boredom and death. Oh, it's a miracle. Miracle. But it's a miracle of kindness. Kindness to a man who made a big mistake. A careless man, irresponsible man. Kindness of God gave him this miracle to reveal how committed, how intentional his love is toward us. In fact, this man's carelessness Stupidity and mistake became the opportunity for God to reveal himself. And the man stands there gaping. As there, 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 There's the axe head on the top of the water, and he's just gaping at it. And Elisha turns He says, For goodness sake, man, grab it, pick it up before it floats away. He was as one who dreamed. Huh. Can you? I, You know, I wonder what he did with that axe head. Uh, maybe he saved enough money to buy it. You see, can you imagine giving that axe head back tomorrow night? It's got the fingerprints of God all over it. You now that, I don't know, just a thought. You see... the the prophet of the Old Testament, all these prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets, do, do you know they came to an end in the New Testament? Jesus said, essentially, John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old Testament. And Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that Old Testament prophets, that was the way God spoke. That's the way he revealed himself. But it says, now has come not one who has a little bit of the word of God and shares it. The word of God himself has come. Jesus is the final prophet. He's the final word from God. And he is now present." in us through the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you have a relationship with God? You know the final word of God and you also know him personally because the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of you. And it says you abide in fact, it says in John is 16, it says, We, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the holy we will come and make our abode with you. And Anything that you see in Elisha was only a finger pointing toward you. This is what it was. We don't have to go to a prophet and say, Is there a word from God? God lives in us. We don't put out fleeces like Gideon. He lives in us. You live, participating in the dance of the Holy Trinity's love and life. No wonder it has renew your mind. We've got to start thinking about God and about us and about life as we've never thought before. It's time. That you and I see God's possible in all of life. And to recognize what may be an immediate despair, the flash reaction, we can look through that and see that it's not. It's really a doorway into a new level of relationship and knowing God's love in our family, in our living rooms, on a construction site. You see, it's not what happens in life, it is how we look at it and see in it and through it God's hidden agenda of how he would reveal himself there. You say, well, these kind of miracles don't happen anymore. Hmm. Well, just, yes, they do. But, I won't even go there. Yes, they do. I want to ask a bigger question. Have you forgotten that the foundation of your faith is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and stepped into the heart of the Holy Trinity, taking your human with him? Come on. If you're a Christian, you believe that. Well, if, if you're talking wonder, astonishment, miracle, that's the greatest you'll ever confront. Jesus Christ, in our humanity, rose from death, having killed death. What, what are you talking about? The age of miracles is past. Are you daft. You are a living wonder. The only way you can be explained is miracle. That you were included into that resurrection and for you now to live is Christ and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. While you go to your construction site, an office and schoolroom and sit at your dinner table please, will you walk away from religion that has killed dead everything that Jesus came to give us and know who you are? Stand amazed at your own presence, recognizing Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit and you can look at Father face to face and the Holy Spirit can speak in your heart the wonders of God. Renew your mind. Start thinking quite differently to the way you have been. This isn't positive thinking. It makes positive thinking look pathetic. This is resurrection possible thinking. It is bringing my life up to the standard of who I truly am in Jesus, and to look at all the trivial, mundane situations of life as containing the hidden wonders of the glory of God. All, all of it alive with the possibility of the love of God and the kindness of God bursting through. So, well, 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 renew the mind. Yes, but as you renew your mind and let the Holy Spirit guide you and teach you as to who you truly are, you, you put off the negative. You know, the safe zone. I, I don't truly understand it, but for multitudes, it's the safe zone. To think of oneself as you are not. I suppose, alas, it is a safe zone for many people. I feel safe when I'm whining, complaining, despairing, and sharing with my miserable neighbor how impossible it all is. I I think many are afraid of the wonder zone, the astonishing Zone, the all things are possible zone of living in Christ and Christ in you, and that's my abiding place, and that's my thinking place, and that's my is now I am place. We feel more at home in our ancestor box where God has been trapped into a minuscule handful of nothingness we, we feel safe living the past over and over and over again never reaching forward into what it means to face life as one filled with God filled with father and son and Holy Spirit come I've got seconds left come and leap into the sea of all things are possible And recognize all the areas of your life, all areas of your, all areas of your life contain a revelation of the God who loves you His infinite kindness and compassion. Which means all of your living, as you get out of bed in the morning, you step into a God opportunity, a challenge of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit to be part of his revealing himself in the world. God possible through you. Well, I, I think that's, that's enough. Um, I, I could say more, but I, we've just, as I say, seconds. And so this is very real to me. And I, in preparing this, I, I felt in my spirit that there's, there's somebody standing on the banks of the River Jordan in utter despair for your axe head is at the bottom of the river. This is the word of the Lord to you to recognize what he is a doing and you are doing it with him, in him and he in you. And you are going to look at this moment as not the moment of utter despair, but of a doorway into the God who is love at work now in your life. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing rests upon you, opening the eyes of your understanding to realize you live life in tandem with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so be filled with his peace and his joy. Be carried in his favor and blessing. So I do bless you and declare that is the way it is.